Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. I'm honored to introduce a fellow military veteran today, but not just any veteran. Today's guest is a retired Marine Sergeant Major. For those unfamiliar with the enlisted ranks in the U.S. military, the enlisted ranks go from E1 to E9. Sergeant Major is E9. He served for over 26 years in the United States Marines, and during his career, he was deployed all over the world, including the Middle East, Africa, Australia, Asia, and North America, and has inspired millions through his leadership. He celebrates every February 17th, and it's an obscure day for most of us, but on this date, while assigned in Afghanistan, he stepped on or near multiple IEDs, which are improvised explosive devices. They failed to detonate, so he's still alive and whole, and he honors February 17th as a reminder that he has more work to do in this life. He is president and founder of Still Serving Inc., a nonprofit, all-volunteer organization to further support the personal and professional development of K-12 students living in underserved communities in the United States. Please welcome retired Marine Sergeant Major Mario P. Fields. Hi, Mario. Hello. Th- thank you for that amazing introduction. And, and before I continue, can I call you Dr. or Gary? How, can, how would you like for me to say your name? Well, if we use Dr. Gary, then we're going to have to use Sergeant Major Fields. So I think that we just ought to go with Gary and Mario. What do you think? Gary, I I totally agree. Well, hey, thank you for having me on your show. So, Mario, talk to me a little bit about, I don't want to go into a lot of your career and history and your bio, but I do want to figure out, I mean, my family had 108 years of military service, nobody in the Marines. Mario, why the Marines? You know, it's interesting you ask that question. My older brother is uh, 17 months older than I am. And, and I really looked up to him uh, literally as well. He's taller than I am. And, uh, and, and you know, and our family's a big Navy family. Uh, dad served in the Navy and a lot of uncles, right, served in the Navy. So my brother just said, hey, I'm going to join the Navy. And when he came back from boot camp, very mature, you know, right, he was running a mile and a half. And I was like, man, dude, you're in shape. And I love how, you know, how you got the six pack going. So so I said, you know what, I, I'm just going to join the military, maybe get some discipline, not party as much because I like to party back then. I said, well, I don't want to join the Navy because then he'll say, oh, you're just like your big brother, just like your big brother. And, and, and he said, boot camp is all the same. All, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force. My brother's like, boot camp's the same, man. So I'll try out the Marines. You know, I'll just try the Marines out. Boot camp's just like Navy boot camp and do my four years. And that's. Uh, <laughs> and you believed him that boot camp was the same, huh? <laughs> I Gary, I did, man. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I got the parasite and then I quickly realized that was an inaccurate way of thinking. 
But it didn't, it didn't knock the spirit out of you, obviously. You went on to an incredible career. And people, a lot of people that aren't in the military don't understand the real, the power of the military and the leadership structure that it has. It's the only organization that I know in the world that has a dual leadership structure where you have non-commissioned officers that really lead the day-to-day and the tactical and help with the, the strategy. And then the officer corps that uh, looks on strategy and, and, and manages and leads the organization. Those two organizational structures is it works i mean i was a a second lieutenant in the army and i became a commanding officer as a first lieutenant i'd have a clue but i had an e8 a first sergeant with over 20 years of experience that i would just turn to him every day and say well first sergeant what are we doing today that's what you got to do with some young officers as you got older as well didn't you didn't you Absolutely. And, you, you know, Gary, one thing I, that I call the military is the, the, the university of leadership, you know, because it, it, and I can only speak for the Marine Corps in specific. But um, but, you know, that's it from the beginning. It's it's from the beginning. You're indoctrinated in the power of leadership behaviors, why they why they are important for the organization. And that's in peacetime and in combat operations. And, and it's and it continues right throughout the entire journey. Through, at least through my journey when not in the Marines. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the Marines for a lot of reasons, but you've just transitioned in the last couple of years, a, a huge transition. You're running a nonprofit now. And I, I talk to military people all the time. One of the reasons a lot of people go into the military is because they knew they know by rank who they have to say yes, sir, or no, sir, to, who they have to listen to, and who they don't need to do. The, the, the rank tells them who they have to follow and not follow. You're running a nonprofit. You went through 26 years in the military, and the last few years now running a, a nonprofit, requiring a completely different style of leadership. Can you talk a little bit to that and how that transition has gone for you? No, thanks, Gary. It, 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 you know, it was interesting. Um, you're, you're correct. I mean, you know, I'm a sergeant major, right? I, I was a sergeant major for over eight years. I'm in the private sector that's equivalent to a C-level consultant at, at a large company level. And and now I, I am I am a founder and president of a nonprofit where the rest of where there's thousands of nonprofits. You know, so the, what, what makes Mario P. Fields, right, the founder and president different than the other founders and presidents? Nothing. So it was it was a time where I had to gain a better understanding of the environment, the industry. I had to do a lot of research, a lot of reading and understand that the board of directors and the chairman was a critical element uh, to leading this new organization that I was getting used to. And that's that's a nonprofit. Yes. So now with a board, you you have to convince them. (laughs) <laughs> to support you to help you right and and you have no power over them zero yeah and, and i would tell you you know full disclosure when i first built the board and then i had to start you know sending up hey how's the slogan what do you guys think about this logo how about the mission statement and three would go yay and four would go nay <laughs> you know, there was some there were some early mornings and late nights i was like do I need a board? <laughs> this is frustrating. So, so it was it was a challenge, right? To 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 understand the dynamics of your board and to shape your business activities where you can get four yays and three nays. So, what have you done to develop? new skills, new ways of seeing this where you didn't get rid of your board, right? No, I did not. No, you didn't. Yeah. So you, 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 and now you have to convince them, work with them, 
understand why they said no, why they said yes, and what's behind all that. So that's a little different than being a sergeant major and and telling a bunch of other sergeants, let's go do this. And they just they just move forward. Right. Yeah. No, it was. I, I had to do a lot of self-reflecting. Mm. I had to become more self-aware of my own right biases, my own experiences and how my own experiences were, were becoming a detriment. That was what I had to do is to stop pointing the finger at, you know, director X, right, or director Y or the chairman and look in the mirror and go, OK, what is it about your experiences that's getting in the way? It's not them, it's you. And that's really what it was after, I think it took me about a year, but after about 12 months, I was like, you're not a, you're not a SAR major no more. You're not a C-level executive consultant where everybody wants your opinion. And yeah. Now it is the reverse. You know, what they want, action items, where are we, what's the direction of the organization, how's the budget, and uh, there's some do outside of the board. Yeah, so we talk about leadership development all the time, and and when we talk about it, we say it's an inside-out process, and this is where your self-reflection, the challenge that few people, and I, I have to, I have to respect the fact that you were able to do this with self-reflection and say, okay, I have to understand that my experiences in the past that are driving the decisions and the direction and the mindset that I have right now are not going to get me where I want to go. And as Marshall Goldsmith book says, what got you here won't get you there. Absolutely. But to do that on your own, and I, I'm, I'm just going to guess I could be wrong, but I have a feeling that your wife had something to do with this. <laughs> your feeling is 100% accurate, Gary. You know, she, I've been married to her since I was 19. We're, we're, we're heading towards 70, 27 years of matrimony and her voice is invaluable. And yes, that that external, right, that external voice that has no emotions tied to what the words are going to right say to you. Mm-hmm. And she has she's the one is like, Mario, it's you or Mario, you need to think about this. And and it was always start off with Mario, with you, yeah. uh, not not external, right? Not anyone else. Yes, that, that's powerful. And when. When we think about leadership development in so many different ways, having a coach or a mentor, in this particular case, your coach, mentor, and partner happen to be your wife. And when you have that level of respect for someone, I'm sure there are times when it hurt when you're sitting there listening to this. And I mean, really, it kind of gets you right in the heart, right? It's painful to hear some of that. Extremely, extremely painful. I mean, painful, anxiety, there's a lot of emotions I experience, and especially when you think you believe that you're doing great. You believe that it's them and not you. And then that person, right, and for me, my wife, who you respect and value their opinion, their perspective and their beliefs, and they go, it's you. <laughs> and it's not bad or good. It's just you just need to understand it's you. How do you overcome that emotional resistance, though, when you have been so successful for so many years and you find yourself in this situation that is frustrating? I, mean, I, I love the first thought. It's like denial. Just get rid of the board. You know, just, just get rid of them. Right. Because is that an option? Maybe. You know, maybe it is. You know, let's replace the four. And this one, let's replace the four naysayers with people that will support me. Right. right? Yeah. You know, but you didn't do that. How did you, if you reflect back and if there's a way you can share some of the things, the steps that you took, because this doesn't happen 
overnight. How did you come to the realization that you had to change? That's a hard decision. Yeah. So in, in the Marine Corps, we have this thing called, it's a, it's a statement called know yourself and seek self-improvement. Mm. And, and that's taught to you from, from boot camp. No, it's one of our leadership uh, principles and it's know yourself and, and seek self-improvement. So from 18 years of age, that has been embedded in me that you got to know yourself and then you have to seek self-improvement. And, and so I went back to that. You know, I, I noticed that, you know, the nonprofit wasn't gaining traction. You know, it was mission statement was still kind of confusing. And and the board members, I believe they, they still didn't really they couldn't grasp where the vision was going and, and how I wanted to articulate it. So I realized that, all right, I have to seek, I have to know myself, but then I have to seek self-improvement. I have to go to folks who've been running nonprofits for years successfully, folks who have failed at it and they can, they still have expertise to offer. And I need to go ask questions, ask a lot of questions, go to business mixers when, you know, before COVID, you know, post uh, post COVID, you know, uh, virtual mixers and continue to ask a lot of questions to improve. Yeah. So you, you, you now you've said this twice. You, you mentioned the word research, you know, research about nonprofits and what you can do to make a difference. Research about how to run it by talking to other people that have failed or succeeded at, at doing this and talking to people that have experienced these things so that your experience, you can connect with it in a way that allows you to succeed. Because the quote I love all the time we use in leadership is experience alone is a horrible teacher. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so, so you, but you sought out other others, and and I think that the first step I think that you have to do in order to be able to do that is to put your ego aside. Yes. And what you are saying, I've been successful. Yep. I've done this. How did you? How did you come to that realization? I mean, did you kind of just get to the point where you're so frustrated that I've got to try something? You know, I. I I call it going into the bleachers, right? So I, I just started observing. I studied people who have failed, um, and everyone has a different definition, I believe, of failure. But what, what I mean by that is I studied nonprofits that mismanaged money or, or, you know, or just went out of business. And I studied those as much as I could. I researched and studied those, those CEOs and those founders and those presidents. And what I discovered through my research was it seemed that the, the ego started to play in their decisions and their behaviors, which which sacked the company. Um, either they're getting thousands of you know big corporate sponsors or they expanded quickly, whatever. And and their ego, right, that 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 emotional ego, I'm big time, I'm a billion dollar nonprofit or I'm making seven hundred thousand, whatever, that started to get in the way of, of making sound decisions. So that's when I said, all right, now let's go ahead and get, let's check your ego. Let's be aware of it. Now let's put it to the side and think through this thing so we don't end up like some of these other folks. So that must have been fun, you know, to do that research and, and see that the failures were the ones that had the ego. And let's face it, you had an incredibly successful career in the Marines as a sergeant major. And uh, the, the problem with success is it feeds our ego. It does. And you had to put all that aside. I, I, I did. And, and you know what else Gary had to put this up, put to, uh, put to the side. No one cares. 
and, and no one, it's your vision, right? So, and no one else should be able to see it. I remember the first year I was getting so frustrated because it was like, good for you. Good for you. And I'm like, you don't, you don't see this. You don't feel the energy. Good for you. Mm. But then I started to realize it's, it's yours. It's not yeah. theirs. And, and so what? They don't get excited. You know, you have to be in control of your emotions, be aware of your ego, and stick with the mission and continue to do what's best for the folks you built the nonprofit for. And that's the K through 12 students. Yeah. Well, you said earlier, too, that you had to go back and understand from the board members what what was in it for them. Why were they doing this stuff? Right. So you put your ego aside. You started going back and and, and understanding what was in it for them and then being able to communicate with them in a way that ties into their values. Absolutely. That that was a, a new skill for you. It, you know, it, it was, Gary, um, it, because in the in the military, the audience have shared experiences. Uh, but when I when I stood up the nonprofit, uh, what was shared experiences? Right. And I had mm-hmm. to define that. And then so I had to look at each individual board member and then start to develop. How do I connect the board and myself and the organization with a shared mission, shared vision and shared experiences with outcomes that each member can go? I feel satisfied with, you know, with this organization. Yeah, a lot of it has. To, as you talk about this, it sounds a little bit. Of it, uh, well, first of all, our leadership definition is the ability to build relationships. So we start with that with. Uh, so we can achieve our goals together with compassion and accountability, but it starts yeah. with building relationships. And that's, I think that you were talking about the mission and the goals and just expecting people to jump <laughs> on the bandwagon, right? Absolutely. And, and that's kind of like uh, when you have shared experiences in the military and you say, we've got this mission, we're here for a reason. Here, here's the goal. Let's go do it. And everybody goes, yeah, let's go do it. Right. In this case, you say, let's go do it. And they go, whoa, wait a minute. Let's, <laughs> let's think about this goal for a second, right? And start to question you. Absolutely. You, you, you're spot on. Like you said, hey, hey, we're, you know, we're deploying to, you know, Africa. Yeah, let's go. Here's our mission. Here's our vision. Here's here's what we're going to do. Let's go. You had thousands. You know, we're ready to go. Like you said, but it's like, hey, here's the mission of this company. And two people go, that sounds great. And the other three go, that's confusing. Uh, well, you know, it strikes me. It's like I know you had uh, under your command thousands of people at times and they were all rah, rah, let's go do it. Oh, yeah. and, and now you could convince five or seven people. Oh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a shot to the ego. It, it, you know, a lot of people don't understand. Literally, it took me until December of last year. We found, I founded the company, the, the nonprofit in the 2018. December of last year at our first annual board of directors meeting was the very first time that I was able to get articulate the program, the vision where the entire board said, rah, rah, let's go. But it took that long. And, and so when folks go on the website or wherever, right, or Gary, they see your successes, you know, they go, oh, yeah, that's great. Well, I'm wonderful. But they don't see that it took it could potentially have taken two years for all the board members to go, now we're moving in the right direction, Mr. You know, Mr. President. Which means that you built those relationships and you solidified the collective vision. Absolutely. Of the people in the room, right? Absolutely. 
So in building those relationships over the last year, can you talk about any, um, any, any approaches and things that you did or what, let's put it this way. Let's say I want to, uh, uh, I have a board of directors with Staterius. All right. And I've got five people on the board of directors. I've been struggling with them. What advice would you have for me in working with this board to be more effective as a, as a leader and as the founder of the company? Yeah. So first of all, it, it I would say don't be so emotionally attached to your company that you found it. Um, that could be a barrier. Uh, so number one, if you, if you're the founder of a nonprofit and you, and you incorporated it as a nonprofit, but by, by law, right, that you do not own it. So understanding you're not the owner, it belongs to the community. The second thing is the board is supposed to govern the, 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 organ, the community's organization. And so you have to gain a better understanding of their role as, as a governing body and understanding that their goal is to govern and to ensure that the executive director, right president or CEO is, is leading with his behavior and developing and managing the organization that will achieve and exceed the mission and, and, and the goals and the vision. And then the last thing is you need to listen more. You know, you listen, listen, listen to what they're saying and, and develop a skill to understand which is a belief, right, an opinion, and then what is an accurate concern. And then do more research and, and, and don't don't put your emotions, don't get emotional when you have to do more work and research after a board meeting, you know, to answer any questions they may have because their job is to govern that organization. Uh, and it's not yours. <laughs> Well, you know, and I want to come back to that because I, this is fascinating. We talk about leadership being a responsibility, not a position. And you said the nonprofit, you don't own it. It's, it's a nonprofit. So you don't, you don't own the business. You're, you're just, you're just leading the business. Yeah. This, this concept though is actually true in a profitable company, a for-profit company too, because if you have several employees to thousands of employees, What's really the essence of the of the company? Is it the owner? Not usually, unless it's you know uh, an iconic leader like a Stephen Jobs or you know uh, Mark Cuban who who leads the. But it's the people running the company. Absolutely, they're the ones that actually own it because they're doing the work every single day. The profit for profit company owners have more financial risk and potentially financial profitability on the upside, but they don't really own the company actually, do they? No, I, I agree, Gary. And, and you know, and I, I am a uh, an owner of. I don't want to talk too much about it, but I, I am a uh, co-founder and CEO of a for-profit company. So, so my experience with that is aligned with yours, right? That that without people, you have you don't have a company. And 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 I don't care how much profit you know, gross receipts you have, and how many clients and stakeholders you've built. If you don't have the employees and the people in your for-profit company, then your company ceases to exist. So I agree that if you're a co-founder, owner, CEO, the the employees actually, I believe, own the company. It's your job to create a culture and set conditions where they feel that ownership and they're willing to right go above and beyond uh, for the mission of that organization. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's important enough though to uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about Still Serving Inc. Your nonprofit, and uh, don't want to lose the opportunity for our our listeners to hear what what is your mission? What are you trying to do with with this nonprofit to make a difference to students in America today? No, thanks, Gary. So, so when when I was overseas, spent a lot of time overseas. You know, I real we we used to do a lot of volunteerism for the children, and that's in Afghanistan, you know, Japan. I mean, you name it. We did things to help the children. But then when I would come back to the United States, we we weren't we weren't doing anything, not mm-hmm. much. And I said, you know what? So when I retired, I said, you know what? I'm going to stand up a nonprofit that's uh, with a program. It's called Adopt a School, and what we're going to do is we're going to you know, we're going to build partnerships with industry experts and educators to adopt Title One, right? Title One schools in the United States to create career opportunities right now for for high school students and to improve academic achievement. And the way we do that is we're we're eighty percent partnership nonprofit. So we have the technology sector, we have the skilled trade sector, business. I mean, you name. You know, we have five sectors: human services financial. And so I go out and I look for industry experts to partner with in those industries. And then we adopt a school and we build partnerships, internships, apprenticeships. I mean, you name it, that creates opportunities for the disadvantaged students. Yeah. And opportunities in areas that we just so desperately need. I just read something today talking about how our school systems, whether it's high schools or secondary schools, colleges, trade schools, aren't doing enough to teach our children the skills that industry needs today. Absolutely. And it sounds like you're you're all over it. I love it. Adopt a school. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and one thing I did learn in my service globally is if you, I believe if you really want to strengthen your nation, you have to start with the youth. You know, if you really want to continue to improve your, your, your economics, right, your economy, your defense um, and all the major economic sectors that keeps your nation free and strong, you have to invest in the youth because they're the ones going to replace us. So that's that's what the adopt school program goes after. Yeah, that, that's great. Well, you can take the stripes off the arm of the sergeant major, but you don't take the leadership out of Mario Fields. I'll tell you that right now. Absolutely. So, Mario, let me ask you my my favorite and final question that I ask all my guests. Absolutely. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back to that young Mario, let's say you're 19 years old and you're, you're, you're thinking about heading into the Marines or maybe you've been in the Marines for a couple of years, whatever it might be, whatever the time frame might be, what would you have written to tell that young Mario Fields a, a few decades ago? The letter I would write is don't understand what humility really is. And gain a better understanding of what being humble is, because I always thought, Gary, that I was a humble person and I knew what humility was and I knew how to demonstrate it until I retired. Again, my lovely bride, you know, we were talking and I was like, I actually don't think I was as humble as I thought I was. And she was like, nope. (laughs) She goes, Mario, you were a bit arrogant. You know, and I said, no, it's haughty, right? That's in between arrogance and just haughty. I I got to write that word. I always use the word confident, but haughty, oh, yeah. that's a good yeah, one. So, yeah, haughty. I call it my Pentagon word. But, um, but I, you know, I believe that was haughty. And she goes, no, no, you, you came off arrogant a lot. You know, 
So what I did, Gary, is I reflected back and I said, man, I actually was arrogant in some cases where I could have probably been more humble. I just thought I was humble. I thought I was demonstrating humility through my behaviors. And actually, I wasn't. So that's the letter I would write back to the old, the, the young, taller Mario. Is, yeah. yeah, we is, keep getting shorter. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I can understand exactly what you're saying, saying about the difference between humility, modesty, being humble, arrogant, confident. A lot of words that some of us and I, I like to I'll put myself into that same realm of successful people. I feel like I've had a successful life. But man, up until about 10, 12 years ago, pretty arrogant. Didn't like the word. Didn't want to go inside, I think, enough like what you've talked about to really reflect and understand what that meant. And now it's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is because it's not about me. It's about the guests. It's about hearing stories. It's about hearing about what you're doing. And I just love to hear those stories. And I think that if you have humility, then you do actually love and to enjoy the story of others and build those relationships that we talk about in leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So Sergeant Major Mario P. Fields has been my guest today, and I just love it. I'm so grateful for your service. And I am so glad that February 17th turned out the way you wanted it to. That's a story that I'll never forget. And thanks for being with us today, Mario. No, Gary, thank you for having me. And thank you for your service as well, my friend. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com.